So Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 5, hear the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of God read for you now. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Dear congregation, a recent Gallup study found that disengaged employees cost the U.S. economy roughly $500 billion in the year 2022. A second study performed earlier this year found that of employees under the age of 40 who were fired in the last year, 54% of those employees were fired because of a poor work ethic. In a similar vein, a 2023 survey by the National Retail Federation found that 63% of retail employers experienced increased difficulty finding qualified employees with a good work ethic in the past year. Now, what do these, what do these statistics tell us? Well, what these statistics tell us, I think, is that uh, we have a work ethic problem in our country today. Many people around about us are not giving themselves to their work as they ought. I want you to note well this morning, right at the outset, we, meaning those of us who believe in Jesus, we should not be among these people. We should not be among these people, and the reason is because we do know Christ. Not only do we know Christ, but we we belong to Christ. We follow Christ. We've been made new by Christ as we've trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. And not only that, but we have Christ's Holy Spirit living within us to empower our obedience to him. And Christ, he calls us to a higher standard in our work. We see that here in Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Our text begins with the word bondservants. That's who Paul is addressing here. Uh, I wish it didn't use the word bondservants because uh, a bondservant is simply a a nicer word for slave. (laughs) And You don't need to look up the dictionary to know what a slave is. You might have to do that to know what a bondservant is. But a bondservant is a slave. 
And slavery was woven deep into the fabric of the Greco-Roman world in which Paul lived. In my study this week, I, I, I read that slaves made up anywhere from 20 to 50% of the population in the Greco-Roman world in Paul's day. That means there were anywhere from 20 to 60 million slaves living in Paul's world at this time. By way of comparison, there were 4 million slaves living in America in 1860. That would have made up about 10 to 12% of the population. So, so slavery was much, much more ingrained into the fabric of society in Paul's day than it was even in, even in our nation in the 1800s. Now, unlike the slavery of our nation's history, The slavery of Paul's day wasn't primarily racial. Some people in Paul's day were born into slavery. Others were made slaves after being taken as prisoners of war. Still other people sold themselves into slavery as payment for a debt. And still others were made slaves because of crimes they committed. And as you can imagine, the, the experiences of slaves in the first century varied widely. There are stories of slaves who were treated very well and even as part of the family. There are also stories of slaves who were treated very poorly and who were used and abused. Slaves in Paul's day did not have rights of their own. They were at the mercy of their master. Their master could buy them or sell them or even kill them at the snap of his finger, if that's what he wanted. And slaves in Paul's day worked all sorts of jobs in the Roman Empire. Some did physical labor, like working in mines and on farms. Others were servants in wealthy households. Many slaves served as entertainers. Others served in the military. And there's even a story of of a slave serving uh, in the Roman government. I'm not sure how that worked, but it, it happened. Anyway, I, I share these details simply to show that slavery, slavery was a significant part of the first century Greco-Roman world in which Paul lived. Without slaves, the Roman Empire would not have been what it was. In fact, if you would have taken away the slaves in an instant, the empire would have crashed. Of course, as the gospel spread in the first century, it's not surprising then that many of those people who were converted to Christ were slaves because there were lots of them around. And it's not, it's not surprising that, that Paul would take a moment to, to speak to slaves in this letter and to instruct them on how to honor God, even as slaves. And that's what Paul's doing here in our text. He's, he's speaking to slaves or to bond servants, and he's telling them how to honor God in this position they find themselves in. Now, you might ask, what does this have to do with us? We're not slaves. And you're right, we're not, and we can, we can thank God for that. I think we can probably thank the Apostle Paul for that as well. But, 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 but many of us do work for someone, don't we? Many of us are employees. 
And that is where Paul's instructions to slaves meets us. It meets us in the workplace. It meets us as people who work for other people and who desire to honor God in those roles. And so so perhaps it'll help to substitute the word employee for for bondservant. Not that they're an exact match and not, not not that... we are making light of slavery, but, but to bring it home, right? It might help to, to, to substitute the word employee for bondservant. So, so listen to it this way, all right? Employees, obey your earthly masters. That's the first thing Paul says. And in this case, your earthly masters are those who, who are over you in the workplace. Your earthly masters are your bosses. Paul says, obey them. Paul says, listen to them. Paul says, do what they ask you to do. Now, I think this is, this is a self-evident principle, isn't it? Because the fact is, if you don't obey your boss, you're not going to have a job for very long. If your boss tells you to mow lawns and you go hang out at the beach, he's going to find someone who will mow lawns and you can hang out at the beach <laughs> as long as you want. So this principle is easy, and this principle is self-evident. Even unbelievers understand, don't they, that they ought to obey their bosses. And so let's, let's continue in the text. Employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. We've probably all encountered people who do their work, yes, obey their bosses, yes, but, but, but do it while grumbling and complaining and calling that boss all sorts of names. I'm sure your employees have never called you a name, Ryan, uh, why, why they've been working for you. But uh, we, we all know people like that, don't we? Who do their work while grumbling and while complaining. Paul here says, not you, Christian. Not you. That's not how you're to do your work. No, no, you're to obey your boss with fear and trembling. You're to obey your boss with reverence and respect. You're to recognize and honor and submit to the authority he has over you in the workplace. Now you might say, well, well, he or she is not worthy of my respect. You don't know the kind of person he is. To that, Paul would say, well, is, 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 is God worthy of your respect? God most certainly is worthy of your respect, and God here in his word has told you to respect your boss. So respect your boss, not necessarily because your boss is worthy of respect, but because you love God, and you desire to do what God has told you to do in his word. Let's continue. Employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Now that word sincere can also be translated singular. And the point then is that that we are to give ourselves wholly and singularly to the work our boss expects us to do. You know what this means, don't you? It means means the Christian must, must resist the temptation to give himself to other things while at work. The Christian must resist the temptation to pick up his phone or pick up her phone and and check Instagram while, while she's expected to be counting inventory. 
He must resist the temptation to shop for that new truck on Facebook Marketplace when he's on the clock and he's supposed to be giving himself to the work of his company. Yesterday morning, I, I was up north at our family cabin, up there a lot this time of year, uh, so if you really need to get a hold of me, my cell phone often is the best way, uh, doing, doing some hunting. And uh, my brother-in-law was there, he had a friend with him, my dad was there, uh, we were all, all hunting. I did not go out yesterday morning, because Saturday morning is a time that I have set aside uh, for really just dialing this in, what I'm doing this morning. Uh, and so even when I'm up north, which I enjoy doing, I, I just take my computer and my notes, and I, I work while everyone else is out hunting, right? And so, and so I'm in the cabin. I got my notes. I got my computer. I'm putting all of this together. I'm making this exact sub-point, uh, and as I'm making this sub-point in my note, I'm recognizing that as I'm working on my sermon yesterday morning, I'm incredibly distracted because the gang is out hunting, and the weather is nice, and I want to know what's going on. I want to know if the bucks are moving, right? I want to know if somebody's got something. And yet as I'm sitting there wrestling with this distraction, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing, right, no, no, you know what? I'm actually called at this point, at this moment in my day, to give myself singular, singularly to the work that my employer, which is all of you, expects me to be doing. And I could feel that tension and I could feel that battle. And often, often we do feel that tension and battle while we're at work, don't we? to give ourselves to something other than our work. And yet Paul says to the Christian, obey your master with a sincere heart. Do your work, Christian, with a singular focus. When you're on the clock, give yourself to the work you're expected to be doing. Let's continue. Employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We'll stop there for now. We all know those people whose work ethic changes, right, when the boss is around. We know those people who slough off like crazy and then, and then as soon as the boss walks in, they pick it up and they X all those things off their computer that they were dilly-dallying with and they, and they act like they're model employees who deserve a raise and a promotion. We, we probably know people like that, I'm guessing. Paul here says again, not, not you, Christian. Not you, that's not the way you're to do it. No, you're to work as if you're working for Christ himself. You're to do your work as if Christ himself has told you to do it. You're to do your work as if Christ himself is watching you do it. You're to do your work as if Christ himself will will be pleased when you do it. And let's be clear, Paul, Paul's not telling us to be imaginative here. He's not asking us to, to imagine that we're working for Christ when we're really not. No, he's calling us to recognize what is true. He's calling us to realize that when we do our work, we are, in fact, working for Christ. We see this in the parallel passage found in Colossians 3, all right, Ephesians and Colossians probably written at the same time. They say many of the same things, make many of the same points. This is what we read, Colossians 3, beginning at verse 22. Paul writes, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And then Paul says this at the end of all of that, you are serving the Lord Christ. So there Paul reminds us that when we obey our boss and do our work, we're not just to imagine that we're doing it for Christ. We're to recognize and understand and know that we're doing it for Christ. When I used to work for my dad, uh, we'd gather at the shop 7 a.m. And dad would give us our marching orders for the day. He'd tell us where we were going to be working. He'd tell us what we were going to be doing. To the service guy, he's an HVAC uh, contractor, but to the service guy, you know, you're going to go on these service calls today. Uh, to someone else, you're going to be doing this furnace replacement today. Here's the address, right? Or, or, or to me, I usually did some of the new construction. You're going to be, I want you to keep working on that new house in Allendale for such and such a builder, right? That, that, that's how it would go every morning. We'd get into the shop, he'd give us our marching orders. He'd tell us, he'd tell us where we were going to be going and what we were going to be doing. Well, Paul here is telling the Christian employee to take those instructions, to receive those instructions as if they're coming from Christ himself. Remember that this week. If you, if you mow lawns, you're to mow those lawns as if Christ himself has told you to mow those lawns. If you cut hair, you're to cut that hair as if Christ himself has told you to cut that hair. If you balance books, you're to balance those books as if Christ himself has said, hey, I want you to balance these books. If you attend patients in the hospital, you're to attend those patients as if that morning Christ has said, hey, I want you to care for these patients today. We're to do these things as if they're nothing less than, than, than Christ's marching orders for our life on any given day. Paul goes on here, he says, employees obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, now verse seven, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Once again, we all know people who do their work with a bad attitude. We know people who go about their work like a grump. I worked with a guy and everybody knew to steer clear of that guy until about 11.30 in the morning. He was not a morning person, but boy, he was tough. He was so ornery. We all know people like that who do their work with a bad attitude. Paul here again is saying what he's saying. Not you, Christian. Not you. You are to render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Many, many years ago, there was a man who worked for the city as a street sweeper. This man's job was mundane, there was nothing glamorous about it whatsoever. One morning the man was at work and the man just had a bad attitude. He was sweeping the streets, yes, 
but he was grumpy about it. This man also, it turns out, was a Christian, and later on that morning, this man saw some kids playing in the street. And when he saw those kids, he realized by God's grace, you know what? You know what? My job actually is worth something. You know what? I I can actually serve Christ in my job simply simply by making these streets a little cleaner for those kids to play in. And that man says his whole attitude changed. When he worked for the city, he was, he was grumpy. When he recognized that he worked for Christ, the king of the universe, the savior of sinners, a smile came over his face. Joy filled his soul. That, that, that's how we're to go about our work. Recognizing that in our work, we are serving the king of the universe, the savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe one thing we need to get over is, is, is the fact that, that God's work is not confined to the pulpit or the mission field or the classroom. God's work is done wherever God's people are working. It is. Right? In Colossians, Paul, Paul says to those who work diligently for others, you are serving the Lord Christ. One more example from my life. I have had too many in this sermon. I try to limit it, but... When I was moving from construction to, to seminary, an electrician, know him well, still know him, great guy, loves the Lord. He said, Dirk, I'm just so happy to hear that you are doing the Lord's work. And at the time I said, thank you, I felt good about myself, right? But as I look back on that, I wish I would have said, you know, you're actually doing the Lord's work too, right? You're doing the Lord's work too. We need to get over that. We do the Lord's work in our day job, and that ought to bring us joy. That ought to make us have a good attitude. We're to render service with a goodwill as to the Lord. Let's continue. Employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Now verse 8, the last thing he says to Christian employees, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. You recognize what Paul is saying in verse 8. He's saying it's true. It's true. Your boss might not honor or recognize or fairly compensate you for the work you do. That's the reality of life in this sinful world. Slaves knew that better than anybody, didn't they? Your boss might not appreciate it. But your Father in heaven will. Your Father in heaven will. Nothing that is done for him is done in vain. He will honor those who honor him. That's that's what Paul is saying here. Let me ask, what what motivates you to get up in the morning and and to go to work? What motivates you to work hard throughout the workday? Is it simply a paycheck? Certainly that's what motivates most people to work, right? That's what motivates unbelievers to work. They need a paycheck. They want a paycheck. They're working for the paycheck. 
I was reminded this week of an old country song sung coincidentally by a man named Johnny Paycheck. Some of you probably know the song. It's a little crude, but it it goes like this. I think it captures well the attitude of sinful man. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. My woman done left and took all the reason I've been working for. You get what he's saying, don't you? He, 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 he worked for the paycheck so that he could provide a good life for his woman. But now that his woman is gone, he's got no reason to work. And so his boss, well, you heard it. The world loves that song. When I worked on the job site, boy, we sang that song loud. And my dad was my boss. That was very, there's a lot of commandments being broken there at that point. <laughs> but that song captures the world's view of work and employment, doesn't it? That's the attitude most people carry with them throughout their workday. But note well, people of God, Paul here is giving us a much higher incentive to do our work than to simply earn a paycheck. He's telling us to look, to look ahead to a heavenly paycheck, to expect the Lord's paycheck. He's calling us to get excited about, about the eternal paycheck. That, all who do their work for the Lord will receive. The Lord will pay back those who do their work as if they're working for Christ. He will. That's the motive Paul gives us to obey our earthly masters. God will honor you for doing this. He will bless you for doing this. He will generously and graciously compensate you when he he brings in full the salvation won for you by Christ on the cross. All right, this, don't, don't, don't mistake it. This isn't compensation isn't something you earn for yourself. This compensation flows out of God's glorious riches in Christ. And yet, it's compensation to look forward to nonetheless. Let me ask you, does your work ethic testify to this reality? Do you believe and do you appropriate these truths throughout the work week? Does your boss, if you have a boss, does your boss see something different in the way you go about obeying him and doing the work he's given you to do? All of us ought to hope so. For the fact is, Christians, as Christians, we work for a more worthy master and we work for a more supreme reward than our unbelieving coworkers. We do. As Christians, we work for a more worthy master and for a more supreme reward than our unbelieving co-workers. And if our work ethic doesn't reflect that, shame on us. Truly, if our work ethic doesn't reflect that, we have some spiritual maintenance to do in our hearts. Our hearts are cold. Our hearts are hard. And we need to offer them up to God again this morning in humble repentance. Our work ethic should reflect what we believe. And it's that in our work, we serve a more glorious master and we work for a more eternal and wonderful and supreme reward than our unbelieving coworkers. Well, Paul doesn't only speak to slaves in this section, he also speaks to masters. He gives four verses uh, to slaves, one verse to masters. Many people believe it's because There were many more slaves than masters in these congregations that Paul was writing to, and I suppose that might be the case even today. 
But even as, it's not surprising, right? That even as the gospel advanced in the first century and even as the gospel gripped the hearts of some who were slaves, so did the gospel grip the heart of some who were masters. That's what happened. And now Paul, he, he addresses these masters. And as he does, we hear him addressing those of us who are employers, those of us who are bosses, those of us who are over people in the workplace. And what does Paul say to to Christian bosses here? Well, he says this, do the same to them. I think we need to take an aside for one second because a lot of people get really angry at Paul here uh, for not telling slave masters to let their slaves go free. They think, you know, Paul, he's subtly condoning Slavery here. The Bible is condoning slavery. Now, that, that, that seems to me that people who, who make that argument are generally looking uh, to be critical of the Bible. Uh, nowhere does Paul condone slavery, all right? He's simply speaking into the situation of his day. And I think uh, Alexander McLaren's words are wise. This is what he says about this ordeal. He says, the gospel meddles directly with no political or social arrangements, Instead, it lays down principles which will profoundly affect these things and leaves them to soak in the general mind. To put it another way, the gospel's primary concern is not to transform society. The gospel's primary concern is to transform hearts. Once hearts are transformed, then the transformation of society naturally follows. And so Paul here, he doesn't speak to the social arrangement, he speaks to the heart. That's what I've got to say about that. A lot of people have have written on that. You can find more stuff and read it about that. But I would say that those who who criticize Paul at this point, uh, their criticism is shallow and their criticism is generally not well thought out and I could debate them for a long time if they want to keep going. Anyway, let's get back to the task at hand, all right? Paul says, masters, employers, bosses, do the same to them. By that, Paul means, you know what, guys? I've just told your employees to treat you with respect. I've told your employees to serve you with a sincere heart as if they were serving Christ himself. I expect you to do the same for them. I expect you to treat them in a similar way in return. I expect you, even in your role as a superior, to serve them as Christ has called you to. Paul says to bosses, do the same to them. Treat them in a similar way I've asked them to treat you. Then Paul gets specific. He says, and stop your threatening. Some bosses wield their power and authority by means of threats, don't they? In fact, we might say that the slavery, the the wretched slavery our country is familiar with is is built on, on threats, right? People instill fear into those under their charge. Paul's saying to the Christian, boss, not you. That's not your management style. Your management style is not not one of threats. So stop your threatening. That's not the way we're going to do this. That's not the way we're going to lead people in the workplace. What should your management style be then? Well, we see it at the very end of our text. You should manage with the knowledge and awareness that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. 
You see, within, within the context of the slave and master or employee-employer relationship, there is a spiritual equality that we must not lose sight of. Before God, bosses are no better than those who work for them. Before God, both, both employees and employers are people of value and worth and dignity. More than that, both are, peop- both are sinners in need of a savior. Uh, in, my, in my previous church, there was a, a man named Mark. Many of you have met Mark. Mark was there the day some of you moved, moved us down here. Uh, Mark owns a successful business in town there. It's called Ebel's General Store. Employs, I don't know, 100, to I don't even know how many people he employs. A lot of people. Mark's done well for himself. Mark lives in a nice house on the river. Mark could easily become proud and distant uh, from his employees Uh, But Mark has not become that way. Uh, To this day, my friend Mark works side by side uh, with many of them, doing rather dirty jobs like slaughtering animals and uh, cutting meat. Mark knows his employees. It always struck me how Mark cares for his employees. And my favorite stories are the stories people tell me or have told me. I guess, about how they told Mark about something that was going on in their lives and Mark proceeded to stop what he was doing and and pray for them. What's more, I can't tell you how many times Mark brought people who worked for him to church. He'd show up at church and there'd be one or two people. The best time is when he brought 12 people with him to church. All of them spoke Spanish. There was no communication going on whatsoever. Very clunky and yet beautiful all at the same time. Right? These, were people, these were people that worked for him. Right? God has given him a business. He is a man who has authority in the workplace. And he used that authority and he still uses that authority to point his employees to God's saving mercy in Christ. To me... That's what it looks like to live out Ephesians 6 verse 9. That's what it looks like to know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. It means you recognize that these people who work for you are real people with worth and dignity who are in need of a savior just as much as you are. Some of us, some of us, might be in a similar position as my friend Mark. You have authority in the workplace, whether you own it or, or, or you work there as well, but, but some of us have authority in the workplace. There are people who answer to you. Let me ask, by way of challenge, when's the last time you took one of them aside and prayed with them when they were going through something difficult? When's the last time you invited one of them to church when you found out they didn't go? When's the last time you used your authority in the workplace to lift those under you up to God in some way, shape, or form? I would encourage you to consider how you might doing that in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We thank you for the way in which your word speaks to all of life.
And we thank you for the way in which your word meets us in the workplace uh, this morning. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would apply these truths to our hearts, that we might be employees and employers who honor you in the workplace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.